This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 23, 1-12, in which Jesus warns against hypocrisy. Together, we will be discussing the importance of loving others by keeping their loads light and our hearts humble. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast. Uh, And we are excited to be with you guys today. And just as a quick reminder, um, last week we um, focused on Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. So uh, finishing up Matthew 22. And that passage examined the, the final question from the Pharisees about the greatest commandment. And then also Jesus's question to them about whose son the Messiah is. Um, as a result of that passage, our, our conversation uh, led us in the direction of discussing uh, the love that God has called us to and what that looks like in our lives. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing our journey through Matthew and, and moving now into Matthew chapter 23, specifically looking at verses 1 through 12. Um, these verses portray Jesus' rebuke of the hypocritical religious leaders of the day and go on to expand on what God's desire is for us. So today I think we have Derek reading for us. So Derek, would you mind reading Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12? Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets, and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call one anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All right. Thank you for reading that, Derek. So let's just jump right in. Um, What are you guys seeing? What's standing out to you as we look at this passage? So as you were kind of giving the recap, Nick, I was thinking about how we've just come from this long line of questioning and, uh, I guess, intended entrapment by both the Sadducees and the Pharisees and their disciples and others like them, where they're trying to really trick Jesus into saying something so that they can arrest him, bring him down, make themselves more elevated, uh, like kind of undercut his authority. All of these motivations are behind that. And we've spent the last couple of weeks really talking a lot about that. 
And then this, as we turn into chapter 23, marks this, this kind of change of, of events where Jesus turns now to the crowds and his disciples. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're all still there, but now he's addressing the whole body. Mm-hmm. And this begins his fifth and final um, teaching discourse uh, for the book of Matthew. And so there's a whole complete shift that we're going to see as we go into this set of passages. I think it's important to hold kind of where we've been in mind as we now look at this discourse, because I think all the questions they've been building and building and building, and now you have reached this climax where Jesus brought them to a place where they're like, we can't trap him. We're not going to ask him any more questions. And now this is kind of his long, uninterrupted response because they have nothing left. And so that's kind of where that leaves us. So with that uh, piece in mind, uh, it seems like the first stop that we get to after recognizing the context that Jesus is talking to the crowds and the disciples. So it's like a, a bigger picture thing. It's not just a focused response to a specific person asking a question. It's, you know, a step back to everybody who is there. The next piece that we come to is the statement that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses's seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. When you think about Moses and who Moses is and this idea of the Pharisees sitting in Moses's seat, um, you begin to understand that like Moses was appointed as leader over the people of Israel and like spiritual leader, right? Like he was the prophet. He had a direct line to God and, and was responsible for communicating uh, God's direction and commands to the people of Israel. He was responsible for sitting and giving rulings on uh, situations of disputes between one Israelite and the other. And so Moses had a lot of authority and it was, a good thing. Like it was a good authority and, and he, he used it well. And so this statement that Jesus makes about the Pharisees being in um, Moses's seat is a reminder that before we go further into this conversation and where I'm going to be taking you, you have to remember the respect that we should have towards these people because they, they do represent somebody who did, in fact, represent God. And the, the position that they are in is a position that can be important. And, and it is, in fact, important. And so I want you to make sure that you are listening to these people. And then he steps forward from there. I would also say, even, even though Moses was in a position of good authority, I, I would say the one thing that maybe from my perspective that Christ is trying to relay here is regardless of the intent of the person that's in authority, it's our job to, to pay some, some respect to that position of authority. And I think that there is a limit to that. I mean, and I think Christ is going to come to that point, but I think there's also a point of, you know, if someone's in authority over you, regardless of their heart, their intent, what what their plans are that but Christ is expecting us to honor those that are placed over us in any capacity I think about um so we've wrapped up our season with bible quizzing we've been studying you know David and Saul and Samuel like through first and second Samuel and 
the the story of David, I feel like really goes well with this when he he find he he's running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him for for real really no reason. David's been a wonderful servant to Saul. Um, he's been a warrior for Saul, but he started to garner such support from the people, from the masses, that Saul has now become jealous and his authority has been threatened by David. And so he's got to get rid of this threat. And so David's on the run. And then, you know, Saul enters a cave where David and his men are hiding. And he's completely unaware that he's in, you know, that Saul, Saul is completely unaware, unaware that he is in danger. And David comes down and he cuts off a portion of his robe and he could have murdered him right there, but God convicted him. And David walked away feeling, how could I lay a hand on the Lord's anointed? God put him in Moses's seat. He has this authority. And, and while like this, this seat is different in the, in, like, from the Pharisees in that he's a king, he's God's anointed king chosen for Israel, but Man doesn't have this right to disrespect them in this way. And we see this also in Moses' story, even prior to this, where Miriam and Aaron, people who were supposed to be some of his top supporters in, in his ministry, actually began to undermine his authority. And in particular, really called into question his even ability to prophesy in any sort of way that was unique to him. Um, I believe Miriam even says something along the lines of don't, can't we all prophecy? Haven't we all done what he's done? Kind of again, elevating herself. And so we see, we see this, this attack on Moses's authority and God doesn't take kindly to this. Um, in fact, he punishes Miriam by making her leprous. And of course, this is, you know, this is devastating for her because now she's not allowed to be in the camp. She's not allowed to, to assume any of the roles of authority that she once had that had been granted to her by, by God as Moses's helper. And, and so this is just, it pretty much strips her of any authority or title or position that she had. And as this progresses, we know that Moses then goes and he, he prays on her behalf and, and asks God to restore her. And so, you know, God restores her, but it didn't please God. And so I think, I think this is an important thing as we begin to discuss positions of authority. It's easy for us to sit and be very critical and critique, but we need to remember that anyone in authority whether we agree with their opinion or not, whether their opinion or their leadership aligns with God's or not, whether they're obeying God or not is, I mean, it's not irrelevant, but concerning our critiques, it's kind of irrelevant because God has put them in this position of authority and in this position of power. And so we have an obligation to behave according to the way Jesus would lead us given this circumstance. And so I think that's, I don't know, yeah, as we as we go into to you know, I guess bashing on the Pharisees again and bashing on the religious leaders here, I feel like it's important for us to to be mindful of the attitude and the heart that Jesus wants us to have towards our leadership. So in verse three, you know, he says this statement: "Be careful to do everything they tell you," but then the re- 
rest of that statement is kind of when it turns and he says, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. And as you guys were just talking about uh, kind of the callbacks to, to David and Saul and the callbacks to Moses and, and Aaron and Miriam, the thought that came to my mind was those who are sitting in Moses's seat, you know, they, they are responsible for communicating the word of God. And usually they would read from the law or the prophets. So they would be reading. So what they are saying is a message from God. And so Jesus is saying, you need to listen to what they are saying. But he draws the line in the sand and says, don't do what they are doing. And when I think about that, I realize it's because like what they say is right but how they interpret and play that out in their life is missing it. That's what Jesus has been saying really all along. And, and since the, the Sermon on the Mount where he says that your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees, like Jesus said that. This, is, this was all the way back in, in what, chapter 5 of Matthew that he makes this statement early on. And we're, we're continuing to see that fleshed out here in this final discourse, as he begins talking about it, and as he ended the the last narrative section, and so to kind of go back to where you started us, Natasha, we do need to bring forward the conversation um, that we've been having. Uh, specifically, as I think about it, like I think that our conversation last week on uh, Jesus responding to the expert in the law on what the greatest commandment is really helps us understand exactly what Jesus is getting at when he says, you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. And so, you know, as a reminder, last week, the the expert in law says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus's response is, love the Lord your God, right? Deuteronomy and love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus. On these two commands hang all of the law and prophets. And as a part of last week, I mean, we we talked about how this conversation is a conversation on action, right? Jesus is saying, in action, love God. In action, love others. But there's also this piece where he's actually, he, he is also calling them to use this understanding of loving God and loving others as the lens through which they begin to understand all of the other laws and all of the other prophecies. And so when, when we come into this discourse today and knowing that Jesus is, had challenged the Pharisees on this specific thing just in the, in the last uh, chapter, we can begin to understand that maybe... The problem isn't that the Pharisees don't know the law. Obviously, they do. We know they do. They know it very well. And we're going to get to that in a couple of verses. But perhaps the problem is the fact that they don't really understand how to interpret or play out that law in their lives. So they have a whole bunch of other laws that they have stacked on top of individual laws in an effort to interpret and understand what that means to, to be played out in our lives. The example that I can think of is like, keep the Sabbath holy. That's a command, right? That's one of the 10 commandments. 
And some of the laws that came out as a result of that was that on a Sabbath day, one of the laws was you couldn't go more than a Sabbath day's walk from your house. And so as a result, people would actually tie a rope to their doorpost and a rope to themselves so they knew that they didn't break Sabbath by going too far away from their house. And so you have this law, keep the Sabbath holy, and then you have this subsequent law of can't walk further than this, otherwise you have not kept the Sabbath holy. And so Jesus is talking about this this idea like they have the law correct, but they don't really understand the lens through which to view that law. And the lens that they are using is resulting in actions that are not what I am asking them to live. Yeah, they, they are struggling with how to live out the law. As you stated, they, they have a great understanding, but they add oral traditions to make it harder for people and place upon them. I mean, really, the law exists so that we understand just how desperately we are in need of a Savior. And all they've done is made it even harder for people who are, it's already hard enough to live up to the law, but they're making it where, like, how could I ever do this? I can only imagine people are like, how can I ever keep all these requirements that you're putting upon me? And I think that Jesus is trying to help everyone that's hearing what he has to say to understand, like, you're never going to be able to keep them on your own. And I'm getting ready to do something and there's going to be a helper that's going to come and help you to be able to remind you of everything that I've done and help you to live this out. But if you're living under this old system, like you're never, it's never going to work. Like you're always going to be tied to some other tradition that man has created. This makes me think about, you know, today, what are the things that we have our, our church rules? Like, you know, um, Nowhere in the Bible does it say that my 15-year-old can't wear a crop top. My 15-year-old is not going to wear a crop top. <laughs> but the, the, what are we making a big deal that's not a big deal? Like what are we, what rules that we have are we, that we are making that are not based on loving God and loving others? I mean, I can think of a couple of ways that we 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 do this. Um, and obviously I'll, I'll speak from my own context. I think we have a huge list of do's and do nots. Probably every church has a, a list that has something to do with their, their covenants, their, you know, I've, I've worked for various religious organizations and they all seem to be the same. They want you to sign, you know, some sort of covenant of conduct. Um, and, and those very, in their nuances, but at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're signing a list of rules. Um, and a lot of these rules are really good. Um, and even, even moral rules, right. But it it feels a whole lot more like the law than it does like falling in love with Jesus. And so I think at a very surface level, it really misses, it causes people to miss the heart. Um, I, I think about it. So with, with my, my son in particular, so he's young and, you know, he's doing things all the time to his sisters that bothering them, you know, hitting them maybe harder than he should and play. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll send him over and we'll, you know, we'll talk to him about it. Of course, you're trying to reason with a two-year-old, which is ridiculous. 
Um, but, but then at the end of that, you want him to go say sorry. And I can make him go over there and say sorry and give his sister a hug. But at the end of the day, if there's no heart change, if there's no heart sorry, then all he's doing is following my law. And to a certain extent, that's important. We want to learn to follow law and to be obedient. But that's not what Jesus wants in a follower of his. He wants somebody who follows the law because they love him, not somebody who follows the law because it's the law. And so I think a lot of these covenants that we put in place, they, while good intended, actually end up moving people's focus from loving and following Jesus toward a piece of paper that they have to check off. Mm -hmm. Um, And the detail, I mean, you could, you could list any number of, of examples of this. The other thing that I would say is I feel like we rank sin in the church and the areas where we rank sin, we, we tend to rank the things that we can see as being somehow significantly worse, the things we can measure. Um, there are things that are more difficult to measure, behavioral quirks or, or things that are, that are a little bit more difficult to, to get a meter on, although you can see them, they're evident and they Pride, cause problems. Yes. Arrogance. Um, but then there's other things like homosexuality, which is really easy, we're really easy to put a, put a stamp on that. And so we've got these rules and regulations in place about the things we can see easily. And those types of things, I feel like it hangs on people, these cumbersome loads. And if we talk about homosexuality for a moment, it's as if we are coming at this saying, you're going to have to put this aside. You're going to have to follow this rule in order to be a part of our community. When really Jesus said, be a part of my community, fall in love with me and I'll sort it out with you. Whatever that sorting out looks like, it's it's birthed out of a loving relationship with God. And I think I think we in the church we have to be really careful about tying these cumbersome loads on people because when we do it, we prevent them from even joining our community and that prevents them essentially from a relationship with Jesus which at the end of the day if we love others like Jesus says is so important then we want them to know Jesus because their soul's at stake. Every one of our souls is at stake. And really, if we look at the end of that that verse 4, it says, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move those cumbersome loads that they're tying around people's necks. And so, like, I guess that'd be a great question for, like, us within the church. Like, what are we doing to help people walk through these things? What are we doing to help people, like, see Jesus in the midst of whatever's going on in their life. Because really, that, that's our point, to, to point people to Jesus. Let him sort through the stuff. As you said, Natasha, like, it's not my job to sort through it. My job is to help people see the Jesus in the midst of whatever they're going through and let Jesus take care of the rest. It's God's job to judge, Holy Spirit's job to convict, and my job to love. Plain and simple. Unfortunately, it seems like we have tried to not just take Moses' seat too often, but we've tried to take the very throne of God and start kind of levying judgment on on people by 
either dismissal from our community or acceptance to our community. That That is judgment, whether we want to accept that or not. When we push somebody out of our community, we, we are levying judgment on them. When we receive somebody in, when we accept somebody in our community, we are passing judgment on them. With that, I wanted to kind of look at the flip side of of that conversation as well, recognizing we've talked a lot on this podcast already about the importance of accountability and doing life together yes. and being able to point out the sin in, in our fellow brother and sister's eyes, right? Like helping us, like you said, Derek, helping us to kind of grow together in, in Christ and overcome the, the, the struggles and the things that the Holy Spirit has convicted us, us on. So that element doesn't go away. I think that a lot of times in the church, we are afraid that if we accept things that we have a conviction about, so or if we accept people who are doing things that we personally have a conviction against, then it's as if we're saying that what they're doing or their lifestyle, they're okay and they're going to heaven. And I, I think the important part here is people are not judge. None of us are judge. I'm, I can't even judge myself with certainty and say, I'm going to heaven or I'm not going to heaven, right? That's God's job. And so I think that we need to maybe in the church relieve ourselves of some of that pressure of recognizing like we aren't the judge. And so when we accept people, we're doing just what Jesus did and we're loving. And as our relationships grow and as they build and as we struggle through our convictions together, the Holy Spirit will lead you into conversations that will challenge one another. And we have to be willing to be open-minded enough to have those conversations and to test everything, not take things personally, but to, but to test these things. But I, I think this goes both ways, recognizing there is, there is conviction through the body and there is conviction through fellowship in the body. Um, but that, that it looks different than forcing people to meet your expectations of what a saved life looks like before they are welcomed into the community of Christ. I know that we have to balance both. Like there is this aspect of we have to help people grow closer to Jesus, but we also have to extend God's love and grace and mercy. So, um, I don't think he needs me to 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 defend him. He needs me to do what he's called me to do. And as you said, Nick, like our our role is is to love. Last time I checked, Jesus actually said that they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Unfortunately, it seems like the world has come to know that we are Christian by the rules that we try to force on each other. More so than the love that we have for all. It's a difficult thing, I think, too, to go back on. You know, we have a, a fairly small influence, um, at, <laughs> I feel like. Um, so so even if, you know, even if 100 people change this perspective, it's not even going to make a dent in the overall perception of the world towards the church. And so this is going to be a long, slow, probably painful transition to make in order to help the world see that we are not tying cumbersome loads on them or that there are Christians in the church who are not trying to tie cumbersome loads upon people. And so I feel like it's important for us not to be 
discouraged, but to continue to have the conversations and to continue to, to push each other, to look at, look at these, these things that are, I don't know, encumbering people or that are heavy, um, and, and have open conversations. So that way we continue to shape one another's perspective of it because it will be, it will be a long, slow process for us to change the world's perspective of the church in this matter, but it's going to be necessary for them to see the love of the church. I think the next part really speaks into that, Natasha. Um, you know, verse five says that everything that they do is for show and talks about the prayer boxes and, um, phylacteries, my phylacteries, <laughs> my let's Bible use the awesome word. It is phylacteries, <laughs> the phylacteries and the long tassels. And I, I think that, um, you know, when the world sees the church, I, I know from comments that I've heard, there is a lot about, um, about verse three, about that they, they, um, they don't follow their example and they don't practice what they teach. Most of the time people say the church is full of hypocrites. And then you also see people that are putting on that show, that are putting on that show when they're at church. But deep down in that heart of that person comes out when they, you know, are met with that, you know, met with those sins, when they, you know, are having hardships that you they really start to see who those people really are. And it's really difficult, I think, for the, for the world because they, they, they don't know the love of God yet. They don't understand love in the way that we as the church should. So it's hard for them to look at the church any other way than judgmental and want to have anything to do with it because all they see or all that they have been exposed to in the past has been hypocritical people who are putting on a show. And that is not enticing at all to this world. Well, if you keep going, they, it, it talks about, um, love of honor, like being honored, whether it's at, at banquets and, um, with the important seats in the synagogues and they love to be greeted with respect. They, there's this love for, a title or a position or a place. Um, they love being elevated. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They love to be elevated to places where people see them. So it really, it's another example of being seen. It's a very worldly thought and very wor- worldly, you know, desire to be held in high esteem because we've already read, you know, throughout the chapters that we've read through Matthew, that that's not at all what we are supposed to do, that that is not at all, you know, this is an upside down kingdom. And, you know, we'll get to it later in these verses, but, you know, this is exactly what Jesus has been saying through this entire, through these questions, talking about, um, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. Well, and I I think this passage speaks, so obviously this passage Jesus is warning the people about the way that the the spiritual leadership in their lives is currently and presently behaving. And while that that can totally be applicable today, um, I think that brings us to a place probably for most of us where we're more sitting pointing fingers than it is reflecting on our own personal lives. 
So I think instead it's probably better for us to look at how in our lives Mm -hmm. we are in positions of authority and we are continuing, like, how is it that we're, right. How is it that we're being elevated? Is it because we're elevating ourselves by walking over people, by making sure people understand all of our, you know, all of our contributions, making sure that they understand our, our educational background and all these things. Is that something that we continue to put out front because we want to demand authority and respect, or is this something that happens naturally because of the way we serve those who may even be working for us? So not to be awkward, but I I would like to commend you, Nick, because in all the time that we've been a like around each other, which has been several years, you've never wanted to be addressed by a title. And like, as we transitioned here, that's something that's kind of stuck. I I don't know that many people like use titles for any of the pastors that we have, which is just not something that we, it's not important because as we've stated, like all along, like we don't put anyone up front because it's not about people. It's about Jesus. And, you know, as we walk through our lives, like the titles should become less because the only one that matters is king. And who's king? None of us. Mm-hmm. So that's the only title that should truly matter. Unfortunately, like living in the time that we're in, we're in a time where people want to have some kind of identity, some kind of title, something to be known by. And I think Jesus has given us the only title that really matters is being like, a title of love. He's called us to love him and, and love our neighbor. We just talked about it. And so, I, I mean, if we're, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in that, like wanting to be recognized by those things that we've accumulated or done, like whatever, whether it's education or a, a job title or any of those things, it's easy to get sucked into that. It's easy to get sucked into that, into the church too, because no matter what church you're a part of, like, a pastor or even people within the church have titles, um, even beyond pastor. And so um, our titles really should be in the church, brother and sister. Like, cause really like there is no hierarchy. And if we're all coming to serve, like the titles really don't matter. I, and I think honestly, it's very countercultural to let go of these things. We are taught from a young age to be competitive. To climb we're, the ladder. Right before this, we were just talking about about, you know, a trip that the teens just went on and Brittany had the privilege to chaperone. And we talked about the competitive nature of the tournaments that they were participating in. And I, I feel like that's ingrained in us, uh, from, from an early age, we receive awards for winning, you know, a tournament as, you know, eight-year-olds, we, we promote people based on this. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a merit-based system. And so, to, to try to, as a Christian, navigate a merit-based world without allowing that to affect you or impact how you make your decisions, it's, it's really challenging. I mean, it's a very, very distracting, I guess. It's a big wave that's coming up when you're supposed to be looking at Jesus. So um, speaking of the trip that I took with the teens, um, the speaker, one of the things that he focused on, which it's a, it, you know, it was a thousand teenagers, so obviously there's their situations are a lot different than us adults that were in the room, but he did say something that I, um, really 
during our, our church time with, with the teenagers, I really, you know, made sure that they heard what he said. Um, he was talking about how knowing who you are in Christ and knowing that, you know, you were made specifically for a reason. Um, he talked about his difficulty, his difficult childhood and, you know, the things that he had to endure and how he just thought for so long that he was a mistake. And then once he found Christ, that he had an identity. And I think that's really where we have to, um, we, that's what we really need to focus on when we're talking about living in this, this world that is, like you said, Natasha, very merit-based. You really have to know who you are in Christ and um, just believe that, you know, the things that are happening, the things that go on, that you just have to believe that he has put you there for a purpose. For me, it made me realize, you know, yes, I, I have I have this leadership role at my job and, you know, I, I do things in leadership at the church, but that's not who I am. Who I am is a child of God. And to focus on that and not on the titles because the titles will go away. It's as if Jesus is asking you in each moment, is... is following me enough? Mm-hmm. Like, is just being defined by me, is that enough? Do you trust me enough? Do you have faith in me enough? One of the other things I feel like is worth discussing in the, these latter verses, verses eight, I guess, through 10 in particular, is, is this idea of, of the congregation. So Christians part of a church body, um, being okay with having their rabbi as Christ, having their instructors as Christ, having their father as God. Like how, I guess, I think it's difficult for many people in, in the congregation to see themselves as elevated as having equal authority to people who are seated in Moses's seat in their lives, in their churches. The reality is that God throughout scripture works through oftentimes the most lowly. When God does really, really big things, it usually comes from someone who shouldn't have been involved in it by world standards, by this merit-based world that we've been talking about. And so I think it's an important reminder that every single person who has been called to follow Jesus in whatever capacity is going to hear from him. The question is, are you listening and are you ready to take the opportunity to be obedient to what he's called you to? Because the things he's going to give are the congregants, the church, are going to be the things that change the world. And if your life is built on that relationship, then if a person is in a position that has been given a title and they fall, then you're not left with nothing. Like you're not left with a, you know, a relationship that was tied to the pastor. You're left with a relationship that's tied to the one that wants to have a relationship with you. The pastor shouldn't be the means of your growth. Can they play a part in it? Sure. But if your, if your pastor is like what you've, like clung to, we've seen it. People cling to people, and when people fail, the the ship sinks. And so, building a relationship with Jesus is the only way any of us can sustain. Otherwise, 
our identity as being a follower of the man or woman that God's placed in that position. And if they fall, then we fall too. Well, and I, I think about that, and I think about this statement in in verse 8. Um, but you are not to be called rabbi, the, really the second half. Not to be called rabbis, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. I think about that statement. I think about what you were just talking about, about you know people having their focus on people, and then when the people fail, the whole thing falls apart. If all of us were to simply have our eyes focused on Jesus and recognize that we are brothers and sisters all looking at Jesus for our direction, for our like step forward, for the daily bread that he offers. If we all did that, if one of my brothers or sisters standing next to me stumbles, I am in a better position to help them recover if my focus is on Jesus. If, however, my brother or sister, because I know they are my brother or sister, has been placed on a pedestal in my life and they stumble and it causes me to stumble, I am now out of position to be of any assistance for them, any spiritual assistance for them as they are trying to get their eyes back on Jesus. You see, when I build an institution or a group on an individual rather than on Christ, it falls apart. If we would just stand equally before Jesus and covenant together to focus on him and to get better at focusing on him and to get better at listening to him and get better at responding to him and get better at helping others to do the same, we could begin to reflect the Jesus that we have been called to follow. As the church, we could start to be the present-day incarnation of Christ. And I think back to the beginning conversations that we are having and, and those cumbersome loads that, that get tied on people. And I know it's going to take time, right, for, for the deprogramming to occur because the world does look at the church as just a list of, of rules for the most part. But if we could be brothers and sisters walking side by side, loving each other as we love our Savior, the world's going to start to take notice. And rather than being recognized as, rather than Christians being recognized as the people who live by laws, Christians will be recognized as the people who truly love. And as you said earlier, it was a call to action. And so that action is to serve. I mean, Jesus says it in verse verse 11, and serve, and then out of that, you know, he will do the exalting. It's not up to us to exalt. We do it through titles, not just in the church. We already talked about it. We do it outside of the church. Like everywhere you look, everything's about a title. And we're elevated to these positions, whether, you know, by ourselves or someone else. We should just do what he's called us to do, and he'll exalt who needs to be exalted. And so this, this call to action, to love, the greatest commandment being lived out, even though we're equal, we should always be looking to serve those all around us. Right. Even though we're brothers on the same line, no different, brothers and sisters, no different, we should always be looking to serve those around us. And let Jesus do the exalting. We don't need anybody to give us a title. Serve people 
and let Jesus do the exalting. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.